1: The Adam Ritz Show on campus in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Oral Roberts University. And we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right. Thank you very much for that standing ovation. Did you see the standing ovation? That's that's powerful stuff. Thank you very much. And that standing O uh, was not for Adam Ritz, it was for Aaron Young is our guest. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Doing very good. How are you? I'm fantastic. You are a basketball player on the team here, Oral Roberts. Uh, what's your position? Point guard. Point guard, and I want to talk to you about not only hoops but your uh, your mission work, your service work, community service, and not only what you do here in Tulsa, but uh, I understand you guys just got back from a mission
2: trip through the Dominican Republic. Tell us. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, it was a pretty great experience. We went down there. We played about four games and. Um, while we were there, we went to an elementary school. We went there and uh, talked to some kids, and obviously there's a language barrier, but it was just an amazing experience. Go down there and i don't know, see the kids and, and be able to interact with them and just, just make them smile. So it was, it was awesome.
1: So you walk into the school. Uh, was it like a traditional classroom like you'd think of here in America? And then you walk in, like all twelve of you, averaging six foot five,
2: and these <laughs> kids are like, "What the heck?" Well, yeah, I'm only five ten, so it wasn't that crazy. But. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we, well, there were a few classrooms, and then they brought them all together. We went into a bigger classroom, nope. and then we, we, we spoke to them.
1: Nobody uh, on the team thought you were one of the students there. They knew that you were part of their team, right?
2: Yeah, actually, some of the teachers there, were, they kept trying to get me into the back of the line.
1: <laughs> it, it was crazy, but, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made the trip home and that you didn't get it
2: left behind. So you, what teams did you play, four games? We played four games. I think they were just club teams. Um, Pile of people maybe 19 to I don't know maybe even 30 years old so just some teams that they had around there in that area.
1: How cool well, probably an honor I would feel like it'd be an honor for for both you and them to be able to compete there.
2: Yeah it was actually pretty cool they were um there were some good teams and after the games I mean, we shared a moment we, we uh took a moment and prayed after each game so we came together and it was it was a great experience.
1: That is powerful service work Uh, faith, hoops, athletic competition, it's all great stuff from Aaron Young on the basketball team at Oral Roberts. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, we want to thank the studio audience one last time give yourself one more round of applause. Thank you for hosting The Adam Rich Show.
0: fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show.
1: The Adam Ritz Show is rolling on from Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're on the campus of Oral Roberts University, and we're with the athletic director, Mike Carter. Mike, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Adam. I uh, love these stories of inspiration, uh, faith-based campus, Christian campus here at or- Oral Roberts University, and that's not even why we bring you on the show to talk about inspiration and faith-based uh, university sports. We're here to talk about your foundation work and a cause that's very close to your heart. It's the Scott Carter Foundation. Can you tell us uh, who Scott was
3: and what this foundation is? Uh, Scott was our 13-year-old son that we lost to bone cancer. He was diagnosed when he was 11, lost a leg at 12, and Make-A-Wish came to him and asked if he'd like to uh, meet some famous people or go to Disney World. And he said, no, I've met a lot of famous people like Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and Barry Sanders and Garth Brooks and all of these wonderful people. And I go to Disney World a lot with my parents. Uh, So let's take my sports memorabilia collection. We'll put it in a truck and take it around the country, let people enjoy it. We'll take up donations and give the money to cancer research and find a cure for cancer. Well, the Make-A-Wish Foundation looked at him and said, we don't have that kind of money or manpower. But they also didn't realize that he had a collection that had over 400 items of the most high-profile athletes in the country, the vast majority of those are in the Hall of Fame in nearly every sport, from skating with Nancy Kerrigan to Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier to uh, all of the famous quarterbacks of the day, Montana, Aikman, all of them. So uh, we didn't have much of a choice. After Scott passed away, uh, he got to see his collection on display at the Tulsa State Fair, and we'd raised enough money to buy the truck, but our group of advisors said, you don't want the calls at three in the morning when the truck breaks down. Uh, We'll find a place to display the collection and we'll have a golf tournament to raise the money to try to find a cure for cancer. So uh, after touring several bank lobbies in the state of Oklahoma with the collection, I wrote a letter to Reggie Williams, who was building the wide world of sports in Disney World and said, you need a collection with a story behind it. And it wasn't four months later, they came and picked up the collection. So it's now on display at Disney's Wide World of Sports, the ESPN Wide World of Sports, where millions of kids are seeing it today. And uh, so that part of the dream is being realized. The other part of the dream, we formed the foundation, and we're getting ready to have our 20... Second annual Scott Carter Heroes Golf Classic, which has now become the biggest golf tournament in the state with over 70 teams. We have to have a 36-hole complex, and this year we expect to go over uh, the $2.5 million mark of money raised for children's cancer research.
1: That is phenomenal. And that, um, to promote for our listeners, uh, is in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. It's, uh, August, uh, you were telling me the off 31st. mic, August 31st. Right. And if, uh, there's more information, anybody's in the Tulsa area that, uh, that day and wants to play, or even wants to go online and give money, um, and fund, uh, the research, they can go to, uh, Scott Carter Foundation. Foundation. Dot org. Scott correct. Carter dot org. Um, let's get the timing on this. When, um, when did the sports memorabilia, when did Scott start collecting it? And it, I mean, he was 11 when he was diagnosed. Right. Um, how did he collect it, and um, what years was this?
3: This started in about, he was diagnosed in February of 1991. Scott was not a great athlete. He played sports, but he was not a great athlete, but he loved to collect. And this is the time when Shaquille O'Neal was a rookie. And it was a really big deal if you could buy uh, some basketball cards and get a rookie card of Shaq. Yeah. He'd go in and buy six little things of cards, little packs of cards, and he'd end up with two Shaq rookie cards. I mean, I just thought he was the luckiest kid in the world. And so he just got this, uh, this real knack for collecting. And really, the collection itself started on his first visit to the hospital for chemotherapy. Bill Russell, the Dodgers shortstop, was a dear family friend of ours, and so Bill gave Scott his 1988 World Series Dodgers jersey, wow. and that hung over his bed in every uh, hospital visit. And so from there, we would find items at some charity collections, and then people would hear about it, and they would send stuff, and Bill Glasson, who I'd known since his golf days here at ORU, had called me and said I understand Scott has a collection can I help and I said well it's interesting today he just got a Magic Johnson basketball and he said now what I need is a Wayne Gretzky hockey stick and Bill said no problem we're represented by the same company I think I can get it. Two weeks later Bill pulls up in the driveway with his whole family and hops out with the Wayne Gretzky hockey stick so it was people like that a good friend of ours Bo Mitchell in Denver Colorado was the chaplain for the nuggets so he was gathering basketballs and different stuff, Dikembe Mutombo shoes and by the time this thing finished we had items from every one of the players of the 92 Dream Team. No kidding. Yes, in Scott's collection we have jerseys from uh, Charles Barkley, David Robinson and Chris Mullen. We have one of the Olympic shoes from Larry Bird and then we have basketballs that are signed by Michael and Magic and Pippen, Malone, Stockton, all of them. Those were in one case. We had 12 cases of stuff that were seven feet tall, five feet wide. Just It's it just a beautiful collection of stuff. And then we took it to Disney, and they kind of pared it down to six cases. But, I mean, this, it's just an unbelievable collection. And... People would help. We'd buy a few things here and there, and then friends would help, and that's how we got to 400. His his story took over word of mouth. Let's get this uh,
1: collection as big as we can. I'm sure your background in athletics helped a little bit with uh, some of the people you knew uh, here in the state of Oklahoma. You were telling me he was involved with uh, the Oklahoma State University Cowboys basketball team, which now there's a a little family connection with uh, former – Cowboys coach Eddie Sutton back then in the
3: early 90s, he'd bring your son onto the onto the court as part of the team. It, yes, uh, we were. They had given us a, a tickets to come. He and Bill Self was his assistant at the time, and we were over trying to get into the wheelchair space one day and having trouble. And so Bill walked across the floor and said, "Woulds well, come over here, sit on the end of the bench." So Scott sat on the end of the bench at first. And would go into the locker room with them at halftime, pregame, postgame. He just became part of the team. And there were times that he'd look at one of the guys like uh, Byron Houston and say, "Byron, come on, you got to play harder than that." And all the guys would just laugh. And I mean, he would get on guys constantly, (laughs) and they just loved him for it. And and so he became. He sat on the bench with them the the rest of that year and the next year, and uh, they gave him a warm up suit that he was he was buried in when he died, but they were the honorary pallbearers at his funeral. And the story, when Scott died, the local newspaper here in Tulsa, the headline was Cowboys Lose Favorite Fan and Inspiration. Wow. And apparently, uh, the editor of Reader's Digest reads three or 400 headlines a day looking for stories. And he called me and said, I want to come to a story on Scott about it him and his relationship with the Cowboys, and he sent a writer down, Suzanne Chase and she interviewed the coaches and players in Stillwater first, then came to see us and said, this is going to be a great story. And I said, well, I would hope so. I mean, they were so nice to him. She said, no, you don't get it. And I said, well, what do I not get? I took him over there every time. I said, no, I didn't get through a single interview without them tearing up. That's how much Scott meant to them. And I mean, I like to hit the floor at that point. Well, the article finally came out in the February 95 issue of Reader's Digest. It won uh, the National Dove Award, then won another award. Then it was reprinted in the third serving of chicken soup for the soul. And so through all of that exposure and through the, I mean, they did articles about Scott here. I mean, it just it went on and on. And one of the real special stories is that that team that were freshmen when Scott sat on the bench was Big Country, right? Big Country Reeves. Big, uh, big Reeves. Yeah. yeah big big country, country. Big Country Reeves. They went to the uh, Final Four. And when they were at the Final Four, the players kept talking to the Seattle News about Scott's inspiration and how much they wanted to win this for Scott. Well, CBS called us and said, we're going to find you at the game and we're going to be filming you throughout the game because if Oklahoma State wins, the halftime piece for the national championship is going to be Scott's inspiration of the OSU team. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, Oklahoma State got beat by Tyus Edney and Ed O'Bannon And I guess Scott got replaced by a couple of people named John Wooden and Bill Clinton at (laughs) halftime. So not not bad runner up. But but I I mean, Scott's story at that point would have gone nationwide as if it hadn't already with Reader's Digest. But uh, his impact has just affected so many people. We often say that. He touched more lives in 13 years than we will if we live to be 100.
1: Oh, it sounds like it. And he passed away in 1993 at the age of 13. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that it's a family affair somewhat with former coach Eddie Sutton from Oklahoma State. His son, Scott Sutton, is one of your employees. He's the head men's basketball coach right here at Oral Roberts University. We're speaking with Oral Roberts University Athletic Director Mike Carter, and we're speaking about his son, Scott Carter, who passed away of uh, bone cancer and how much um, uh, he's meant to so many people with the Scott Carter Foundation, the golf outing, reaching $2 million in donations. Um, The unbelievable sports memorabilia that's on display right now in disney world at the espn wide world of sports out of that memorabilia what was scott's favorite piece
3: and what is your favorite piece well i think scott's favorite piece uh, in one of the moves somewhere along the way it was lost or stolen but his favorite piece was a baseball card that on half of it it was nolan ryan's seventh note hitters and on the other half of it was Ricky Henderson's stolen bass record. And he was told repeatedly, you'll never get that signed by both guys, and he did. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, to have that that one piece, I think that, of all things, he was most proud of that because it was an accomplishment. There, There can't be... Three of those floating around. Yeah, one of them is sitting somewhere that it shouldn't be. Right. But but that's okay. I'll Somebody, keep my eyes open. If so, I see it, I'm calling you. So, somebody's enjoying it. <laughs> uh, as for me, it's it's really hard because uh, we had a Legends case that really meant a lot to me because the centerpiece of that case was a replica Mickey Mantle jersey, and we got to meet Mickey and Scott. and Mickey became buddies. Uh, But in that case, there is a Jerry West basketball, Gordie Howe hockey stick uh, book signed by Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson, uh, a Richard Petty STP can and cap, um, 14 or 15 Hall of Famer baseballs, a Hank Aaron bat that was actually my bat when I was a little boy that I sent to... Uh, Mr. Aaron, and he signed it for us. Oh, my God. Uh, And the the bottom row was was pretty special. It's a Pele jersey, a Walter Payton football, Ali and Frazier boxing gloves, and a Pennzoil can signed by Arnold Palmer, (laughs) Uh, along along with a record album from Mercury Automobiles on how to play golf that they gave in 1963 to anyone who test drove a Mercury. And Arnold signed all of those things. So, I mean, that one case has got to be worth a fortune. And so I'd, I'd say of all of the cases, that that was probably my favorite.
1: That is so interesting. Uh, we love catching up uh, with athletics and hearing stories like this. We haven't even talked to you about, you know, your faith-based uh, athletic department or leadership or community service that the uh, your Golden Eagles do here and around Tulsa uh, maybe we'll do that another time uh, Mike Carter has been our guest and real quick for our listeners on how they can get involved maybe find out more about that uh, display at Disney World or how they can donate through the golf outing and your foundation it's scottcarterfoundation.org and is everything on that website they need to know everything's there and uh, including phone numbers Okay. All right. Well, I uh, um, I love this type of stuff and I golf. So, uh, you know, I could come back and golf and we'll do some more broadcasting and interview some more people and promote the uh, foundation and hopefully someday find a cure for, uh, for children's cancer. Mike Carter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having
3: me.
0: Hey, this is Jeff Saturday. Just want to say how important what Adam Ritz is doing. This is truly a difference maker. You're listening to The Adam Rich Show.
1: Our next segment rolls on with a special guest. This is Kimberly Ewing. Hi, Kimberly. How are you?
4: I'm great. How are you doing today, Adam?
1: I'm doing fantastic, and I want to thank you for your time and, uh, and your expertise. This social awareness radio show leans on social awareness experts to uh, help the cause of uh, educating America on social awareness issues like bullying and that's why we bring you on the show. You're a national expert on the prevention of bullying.
4: Yes, I am and yeah. I'm so glad to be here.
1: Good. Well, how? I guess let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved uh, with this issue, which has is really, in the last several years, become at the forefront of a lot of educators' minds?
4: Right. Well, for a very long time, I have done training. Um, I have been a, a director of multicultural services when I was at Vincent's University for about 12 years. And with that role, I did a lot of diversity and inclusion training. And then along the way, uh, we started to see bullying involved in that. And then that's when I really started to dive into it and really understanding that there is uh, an epidemic that we have to deal with. Um, So that's kind of the background. Personally, for me, uh, as a child, I had an experience of being a person that dealt with bullies and, uh, should I say, bullying behavior. And I was always the kid that would stick up for the person being bullied. But when I switched schools, I had that actually done to myself.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And that's when I decided um, it doesn't feel so good uh, to be on that end of receiving it. Uh, But I was very fortunate to have a mother that uh, became aware of it and put a stop to it and asked me what I wanted to do. And she pulled me out of that school and took me back to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, which I had left. Um, but not all parents are able to do that. So uh, I was very grateful that that wasn't a uh, a very long, bad memory for me.
1: You uh, just said something that triggered something in my head. You, you yeah. said when you were a child there were there was a bully, yes. and there were bullies. Yes. And that term, that word, mm-hmm. has been around f- forever. Yes. You know, he's a bully, she's a bully. Uh, and it seems like the word bullying, to make it a verb, right. is fairly new or, I guess, I don't want to say it's a buzzword or the flavor of the month, but right. it's, it's it's when you think of those two words, a bully, you know, I, I you can think of um, any movie from 1940, and there's always a bully in there. Right. But the term bullying just seems so new. Who, who, how did the? I guess the. In your opinion, what's the the big national push for to, to make the word bully a verb and really make this uh, an issue that we need to notice and and not ignore anymore.
4: Right. Um, You know, from a personal uh, view, I remember as a child, you know, my parents sat me down early on and said, honey, you know, you might deal with some mean kids. And they were preparing me for that, that you're going to come across kids because there wasn't that term yet. Um, You're going to come across some kids that are not going to be so kind and how to deal with it. And um, they were preparing it because they went through it, too. So I thought that was very interesting. But then down the line, then we finally gave it a, a word, a, a, an actual name for it. Uh, I am a certified Oveas bullying prevention trainer, and Dr. Dan Oveas is the father of bullying prevention. He started that back in the 1970s from Norway. I'll be darned. Yeah, and so it is an evidence-based program. So we have lots of studies that really show bullying behavior. And then eventually uh, brought it over here to the States in the 1990s. And actually uh, Sue Limbert uh, runs that now through Clemson University. So that's where I got my certification. So anything that you see um, that has to do with the definition of bullying, It will go back to Dr. Dan Oveas. All these programs have been given birth through that and his research and, and zooming in on kids that have been traumatized from bullying behavior. And I say bullying behavior, then bullying... Because it's very important for us not to label kids, because then when we label them, then they'll actually, uh, they'll be that person. Um, So we always try to be very clear that you're not a bully, but you are displaying bullying behavior, because we believe through the program we can turn kids around. Got it. Yeah, That's very interesting.
1: Uh, Kimberly Ewing is our guest, bullying prevention expert. Um, i 'm going to ask you about some success stories uh, later on in this chat. Okay. Um, you know, I know you 're based in uh, Chicago and you do a lot of work around the midwest and i 'd like to know a story a success story out of uh, one of the schools you work with in chicago i right. uh, 'll I'll, I'll spring that on you in a minute, right. but uh, I did see you speak. Uh, saw your session at a workshop, and um, you said some things that jumped out at me that were uh, very interesting. Um, we were talking about um, common myths, uh, and I got to flip through one of your your workbooks too, one of your handouts. Um, I found it interesting, and I know our listeners will, too. Uh, What are some of the common myths involved with bullying?
4: Well, I think the common myths uh, with bullying is that, um, well, it can't be my kid, right? Right. Um, We just really uh, don't want to see, which is normal, that our kids are the ones that are having issues and are having problems. Uh, It's hard for a parent to get that telephone call when the teacher is saying that your child is displaying bullying behavior. Um, The other common myth is that you think that um, zero tolerance works, and that's not the answer to. We don't want to sit up here immediately and and, uh, uh, kick that kid out of school because where is that kid going to go? There's that pipeline from school to prison. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really want to make sure we're working with those kids and have policies and procedures that are going to be effective. Uh, The other common myth, I think, a lot of times is that you cannot affect change. You know, is it just me by myself? And even though you feel like it's you by yourself, a lot of people want to make a difference. They really want to change it. And and I also say I I want to clump kids in that, too, because we have a lot of kids who are the bystanders that feel powerless a lot of times for doing it. And what we need to do is tap into that group because that is the majority of our kids and they really want to do something. Uh, You were in on my session today when I trained and you saw that one of the questions was, do you believe that the kids that are the bystanders, you know, do you believe they have any sympathy and empathy? A lot of people are like, oh, no, probably not. And that's not true, you know, but they need to be empowered to know they can do something and make a difference.
1: You bring up uh, bystanders and and that's um, a lot of these social awareness, uh, social awareness topics we deal with and cover bleed into each other yeah. and um, bystander intervention is a big one on college campuses yeah. uh, when you see um, a, a teammate, a classmate um, a friend who's drinking too much, yeah. you want you want to intervene and say you 're about ready to make a very bad poor choice that right. could affect a lot of people. So that bystander intervention, when I think of bullying, um, one of the things uh, I, you know, I like to bring up with that example uh, is, is that's so universal is the movie Grease.
4: Yeah.
1: You saw Grease, and there's a scene in that movie where Danny Zuko is um, John Travolta, Yeah. and they're in the high school hall, and all the other T-Birds, there's six of them or so, well, the other five are picking on Eugene. Yeah. They're bullying Eugene. And Danny Zuko is not bullying. He's not taking part in the bullying. But he doesn't intervene. He doesn't say anything. He just kind of walks on by and goes up the stairs. And that bystander intervention is, I believe, so important to not only get involved and intervene, but I think it's important for the Danny Zukos to do it, the coolest kid, the the leader of the pack, the captain of the football team. Uh, How important is that for the work you do to get those, I guess, popular kids on board with this program?
4: Oh, it's huge. And that's what I really love about the Ovea's Bullying Prevention Program because we try to make sure that we connect the students, the parents, the teachers, the community, the classroom, the individual, all of that foundation that really makes the program. And we know if we can zoom in on those kids that already have leadership qualities and really guide them properly, empower them. They make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. So you got to have a kid that really has great leadership, but it's going another direction. When you empower them to say, you really have a lot of power and you have some good power to make a difference, man, that's a lot of kids, adults, they want to know, what can I do to make a difference? So I really think you're right. You're onto something there. To so take that student leader and to say, hey, you can really make a shiny difference and turn that student's life around.
1: In the movie Spider-Man, I mean, yeah. the quote was, with great power comes great yeah. responsibility. Yeah. So if you are listening right now, and you're a student leader, and you're a popular kid, and you see something happening, I mean, you've got to speak up. Tell a teacher, a counselor, the principal, uh, hey, I saw something in the hallway. This isn't right. And what do you say to that kid who um, is like, okay, I don't want to be a snitch. I don't want to be a rat. What do you say to that perspective?
4: Well, you know, I'd like them to put themselves in that person's position. If you're seeing bullying, imagine if that was you. Imagine if it was uh, your little brother or sister. And if you don't have any brothers or sisters, imagine that if it's a relative, somebody you care about. You know, how can you make a difference? And you may say, well, you know what, there's too many people around, and I I just didn't feel safe. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Then go ahead and talk to a teacher, a trusted adult on the side, and say, hey, this is something I witnessed, I'm concerned about, uh, because I've had too many kids to come tell me, you know, I wish I spoke up. And as a result of that, my friend ended up becoming depressed or sick or left school or, God forbid, committed suicide. And I talked to a lot of kids out here that know somebody, have heard of somebody that's committed suicide. So don't just uh, feel powerless. You still have a mouth. Uh, you can still report it. Uh, there's even anonymous reporting in some schools. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a great idea, especially for people that feel as though, man, I really could be targeted. But I think the, the greatest bravery is to be able to come forward and to talk to someone you really trust. Mm-hmm.
1: Kimberly D. Ewing, K D E, and your website is KDE Motivates.com. Yes. Let's have your uh, Facebook and your Twitter.
4: So uh, it is Kimberly Ewing um, on my Facebook and also it's KDE Motivates on my Facebook, and it's also Katie Motivates on my Twitter.
1: Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to have you on uh, the show. Um, You mentioned diversity training you do also, so I'm going to bring you back, and we'll do a whole other segment on um, diversity and and multicultural and race issues. Um, You've been a great resource for the show, and we'll have you back as many times as you like.
4: I will love it, and I just thank you for coming out this morning and interviewing me and really talking about this, and I look forward to meeting with you again.